The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, one of the longest trials in the history of Court TV has finally come to an end with a verdict in the Jinx murder trial. Court TV's Ted Rollins joins me to discuss the jury's decision. And then I'll be joined by Haley Bull of Newsy to discuss the heartbreaking story of Gabby Petito and the search for her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie. This is the Court TV podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you for downloading and listening. Uh, this week, we've got a couple of things to get to, but we're going to begin with um, the conclusion of an absolutely epic trial. Bob Durst. Bob Durst, also known as Robert Durst, the Jinx murder trial, a case that involved 40 years worth of evidence, a five month trial that started before COVID was delayed and then finally finished unbelievably. And it was a, a case with all this buildup and all these elements that had perhaps one of the most anticlimactic finishes ever. But let me play it for you right now. Here it is, folks. The verdict. The people of the state of California versus Robert Durst. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Robert Durst, guilty of the crime of first degree murder of Susan Berman in violation of Penal Code Section 187, Subsection A, a felony as charged in Count 1 of the information. We further find the allegation that in the commission of the above offense, that Susan Berman was a witness to a crime and was intentionally killed because of the fact within the meaning of penal code section 190.2, subsection A, subsection 10, to be true. Okay. Well, it sounded like a normal verdict, but it was anything but a normal verdict. Let me bring in uh, my friend, colleague, uh, Court TV's own anchor, Ted Rollins. Uh, Ted, um, this was a very bizarre verdict, which was probably appropriate for such a bizarre trial. Um, but the defendant himself did not show up. Didn't He's there every day of this trial. He is living this whole thing through the Jinx documentary, the movie about his life, all of that. And when it's finally time for the jury to speak, Robert Durst is a no-show, Ted. Yeah, <laughs> it was straight. I mean, the when there's a verdict, you want to see what the defendant's reaction is. Uh, not there because of uh, COVID exposure. And um, it was just, yeah, to your point, the bizarre end to a bizarre odyssey, which was Robert Durst, the jinx, and then this trial. So... He's not there because, not because he had COVID, but apparently someone he was exposed to had it. So this became a big issue before they decided whether or not to read the verdict. The defense was like, no, 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 you can't go forward without Robert Durst. He needs to be here, which would have put this case in an even stranger place where you're talking about the jury reaching a verdict, but then the verdict not being delivered for perhaps one week, two weeks, whatever it would take, and then all the things that could happen in between. So the, the judge, I think, realized all that and just plowed ahead without the, the, the defendant there. But it was almost as if 
this would have been an even more appropriate ending for this trial to have the jury reach a verdict and then wait maybe three weeks to deliver it. Yeah, because this is the never ending trial. It would have been uh, perfect. And, you know, I think I think the judge got it right. Look, what if a juror, something happens to a juror? What if something happens in that two week period, uh, a juror gets COVID and then extends it to four weeks. Uh, it, you know, you, this is the way to do it. You don't technically need the defendant in there, or if you do, um, put it up on appeal along with the list of a million other things that Robert Durst will never see the results of, because let's face it, we talked about it before. This case was, had, has so many things that in a normal case you're thinking, Ooh, that, that, ooh, I think that might be reversed on appeal. And this one, you just got the feeling that John Lewis doesn't care and probably the judge doesn't care because the odds of Robert Durst being around in 10 years um, are slim to none. Yeah. Don't forget, the, the jury watched a Ryan Gosling movie as part of the evidence in the case. So that, that speaks volumes about all of it. And maybe it was the, the appropriate call. It was just bizarro. So... Um, this is interesting because on my on my show, I had some criminal defense attorneys, um, female criminal defense attorneys, Ted, who kept talking about how over the top and boorish and, and too aggressive the prosecutor was and how unlikable he was and how Robert Durst was a real charmer. Well, I they use that word on the air on my show, Ted. They called him a charmer. Robert Durst. Yeah, the triple murders. It's just, they're, you know what? I, I understand what they're saying, that he's unique in that he tells detailed stories. And, and, and some of the things he said had me going where he would he would explain what he said was going on in this manner that you you're engaged for a while. But then if you just step back one little step you see a guy lying through his teeth in my opinion and in the opinion of the jury as well they did not buy his his um testimony that was clear now uh, john lewin the prosecutor and this again was a bizarre ending to such a big it was a big case big trial you know a lot of times there's these big press conferences where you have the whole team gets together they thank each other they thank the investigators the victim's family is there and it's this amazing moment that didn't happen after this verdict. There, there was there was like all of a sudden you see John Lewin walking out of the courthouse by himself and the, the, the few media people that were outside, including Court TV, sort of grabbed him and started asking him some questions. And, and first, of course, was his reaction to the verdict. What I can tell you is we are extremely gratified and appreciative of the verdict that the jury reached in this case. We think that it was supported by the evidence. We think it was absolutely the right verdict. In speaking to them, we were very uh, pleased to discover that they believe that we had proven not only Susan's murder beyond a reasonable doubt, but they believe we had proven Kathy's murder beyond a reasonable doubt and Morris's murder beyond a reasonable doubt. Excuse me, Kathy's killing beyond a reasonable doubt and Morris's murder beyond a reasonable doubt. So, you know who else was really happy about the verdict? Uh, John Lewin's family, because could you imagine being <laughs> around John Lewin if, in fact, Robert Durst was found not guilty? I think I think his head would have exploded. Yeah. Now, um, imagine what it's going to be being around John Lewin now that he's back home with nothing to do. He's been consumed with this case for years. So, yeah, buckle up. 
Lewin family, daddy's coming home. Exactly. Now, I, I want to say that, um, you know, we're joking around a little bit, but uh, I absolutely admire the job that he did. And I admire the job that he does as a prosecutor and someone who has taken that. And I, I've said this before, but I just want to say it one more time. Prosecutors are lawyers who don't make a lot of money, okay? They make a good, a good decent living, but they don't make nearly what they could make in the private practice. So any uh, prosecutor that uh, continues to do that work, I admire and appreciate very much. Just want to get that on the record, Ted, so no, no one takes this the wrong way. But John Lou, Oh, I agree. And yeah, I totally agree. And we've talked about about it before this guy is so unique because he has the energy the passion that you rarely see in the courtroom on the on the state side or the federal government side when you're they're prosecuting the case he brings it he brings it like the most flamboyant defense attorney and he's doing it from the other side i found it to be refreshing a little bit um jarring at first but as this trial progressed he had such knowledge of this case that he could just rattle off and he did it with such vigor that it obviously um was communicated with this jury i love the guy yeah and you know what else it gets under the skin of criminal defense attorneys which is probably why they found him overbearing the ones who commented on my show because it's like he's stealing their act Okay, when you get inside a courtroom, nine out of 10 uh, criminal uh, trials, it's the criminal defense attorney who's going to be the breakout character. It's the criminal defense attorney who's going to do things that you don't expect, who's going to say things that you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe he just said that. But in this case, John Lewin uh, stole the show and, and, and stole their thunder. And I think they get a little a little jealous of all that, Ted. Yeah, Dick DeGaron usually runs the show when he walks into a courtroom, and uh, not in this case. It, and David Chesnoff, these are seasoned defense attorneys that are big personalities. They take over courtrooms. And there was John Lewin, who was bigger than them, bigger than big. And uh, boy, did did he do it. But he didn't do it in a way that is, and we've seen this happen before, where it's all show and nothing underneath, no substance. He had both going. He had the wicked knowledge of the case and the show and the passion. It's a lethal combination. The showdown I want to see, Ted, is John Lewin versus Jose Baez. That would be amazing because bias does tries to do the same thing in, in taking over a courtroom. And that would just be uh, incredibly epic. And I think it may happen someday if there's some big uh, L.A. trial where uh, bias comes in pro hoc vice. Maybe we'll see it. Um, yeah. Or Garagos would be a good one, too. Garagos would be good. But I don't think he's is he trying any cases anymore. He's, he seems to be he's a real estate developer, I believe. Yeah, he's yeah. made it. Uh, he's, he's moved on. But that would be great. Um, to, just to see the clashes, you know, the clash between those two personalities um, and bias would be fantastic as well. Yeah. Garagos is making too much money to be bothered with trying cases right now. All right. Let's get to um, John Lewin now. Again, uh, this is after the trial, after the verdict, talking about uh, Robert Durst on the witness stand. I think I think that what Bob, if you notice, no matter how bad it was, no matter how much he got impeached, he loved it up there. He loved it even when it wasn't going well. Um, and every once in a while, there'd be a kind of a maniacal grin. But the idea that Bob is some crazy, you know, uh, nut job, he's not, he's not crazy at all. What he is is he's a, he's a guy who killed his wife, and then he realized that, you know what, um, I've got to cover my tracks. And 
he had to kill two more people. I've said this a million times. The difference between Bob Durst and the rest of us is, for the rest of us, murder's not an option. It's not Bob Durst's first option, but it's an option. That's a great, great line. And and he said that to the jury, and it was a big part of his theme. The other thing that he said, I thought that was very interesting, um, was talking about whether or not Robert Durst is a, a serial killer. He says, no, he's not a serial killer. He's, he's one who kills because he has to, not because he, you know, it's the thrill of the kill. It's because he's covering, it all comes back to Kathy Durst. Yeah, it was a great way to characterize it because um, it, it's true. You know, if you, if you believe Robert Durst, uh, is guilty of all three of these killings, murders, then absolutely that makes sense. You know, that's the one thing he's got a lot to live for, a lot of resources. And that's why he kills Susan Berman, his friend. That's why he kills Morris Black, the neighbor, um, because he has to, because they're going to bust him. They're going to go and tell, turn him in and then he's going to sit in prison. So yeah, his his trigger is different. His switch is different to Lewin's point. Most of us don't have that, uh, but he does. Now, this next question that was asked, I love. This is just a great question. Um, And you have John Lewin, who has spent all this time, all this energy prosecuting Robert Durst, and he's finally done it, and he's completed. He has won. And now they're asking him, uh, John Lewin, is there anything that you have to say that you'd like to say to Robert Durst? Here's his response. You know, I mean, I don't have anything to say to to, to Bob Durst. I mean, he he is a you know he's a, he is what he is. He's a narcissistic psychopath. Um, he killed his wife, and then he had to keep killing to cover it up. Um, I, I guess what I would say to him is that hopefully. You know, he's now understands what it's like to be held accountable for his actions. It's it's been 40 years. You know, he's 78 years old and he's been walking around for a long time. He had a lot more of a life. You know, Kathy didn't make 30. So um, I think on balance, uh, considering what he's done, he got a lot more of a life than he was entitled to. You know, it's interesting. I, I think. By asking that question, many of us were expecting a different answer, right? We were expecting him to take the moment and say, yeah, Bobby, ba-ba-ba, I got you. I, you know, something like that. But that's not going to be John Lewin. John Lewin, from going inside the courtroom to afterwards, dials it back and, and you understand who he is. He's a prosecutor doing his job, holding people responsible. And as personal as we may think it is, it's it's not quite as personal as I thought it was, or many of us thought it was. Yeah, well, yeah, I was hoping he would say, burn city, Bobby, you're going to fry. But no, he was professional, which gives you even more respect for the guy. Um, But boy, you do have a, yeah, I had a, you know, and who knows what he said to his colleagues and friends. He must have been elated. He's worked as, uh, he's worked, years on this he was on a plane to go interview durst in new orleans um within minutes of hearing that he was in custody uh, very few prosecutors on this country especially in a large city like los angeles is, would be that dedicated to do what john Lewin has done in terms of putting in the work okay so now let's let's put all this in perspective now as we can um put this trial uh, to bed to a certain extent um where where does this one kind of 
uh, resonate with you, Ted? When you when you think back about the Robert Durst case, you know, whether it's five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, um, what are you going to be thinking about when you think about this trial? I, you know what? It, it reminds me of Phil Spector a little bit, where he was a big personality. Once, you know, during the trial, you're, oh, you're thinking, where is it going to go? Which way is it going to go? Then when it's over, some trials stick with you. I don't know that this one does. I think this one is, all right, justice was served. We're going to get uh, a little blurb someday that Robert Durst has passed away in custody at uh, one of the California prisons. And and that'll be it. And and that's Durst's worst nightmare. Lewin was right. He loved being up on the stand. He loved being interviewed in the jinx. He liked um, being able to tell stories and, and being the center of attention. And that that's all going away. And that's what undid him was, was speaking uh, to me, his life work, right? His life's work. You know, we all want to think about what our life was about and what we did and, and what different, and his whole life was about the disappearance of his wife, period. That's it. He, he accomplished nothing. Uh, he did accomplish uh, somehow convincing 12 jurors in Galveston, Texas, that he didn't murder a man that he dismembered, if you want to call that an accomplishment. But his whole life, this is his whole life. And, and that's why I was so shocked. I thought it was so ironic that he wasn't there for the final chapter, which was the jury coming back and saying, you were responsible. You know, he, he didn't show up um, and, and wasn't there. We didn't see his reaction, um, but he, he, he wasn't in the courtroom to have that moment, which was the final conclusion of this whole thing that he has drawn out through the years and made bigger than it would have been through his own actions of sitting down and, and having these movies made. No, and, and, and in his mind, the not being able to just be there for that. He's been there before when he was found not guilty. He's so accustomed to the system now. Um, he missed out on the, the last play with, you know, the clocks winding down. And it's fourth and five. What's going to happen? And it would be like getting pulled out of your seat at a football stadium. It's like, oh, you can't watch this. Um, what? I'm the team owner. I'm Robert Durst. Well, he he had to just get word from his attorney that uh, he went down. And I'm sure I can't, it couldn't have been a surprise. I mean, to, to Durst, to DeGaron, to, to any of that defense team, still it's that moment. And I'm sure Durst uh, more than any other defendant wanted to be there. Okay. So as we put away the Robert Durst jinx murder trial on court TV, we've got a couple other big ones uh, coming up, Ted. Um, and just a quick thought about those. Uh, I wanted to throw at you. We've got the case of the shooting death of Ahmad Arbery. I know you've been down there. You've seen the scene down there. And then we've got the uh, murder trial, double murder, of Kyle Rittenhouse out in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, just a couple thoughts about those two cases coming up here on Court TV. Both are going to be fascinating. Both are self-defense cases at the end of the day. I think jury selection in both of them, we always say it's important. This is going to be imperative for both sides not to get a, a rogue juror that is opinionated on the panel. And then it's going to come down to the defendants. I think you're going to see um, Travis McMichael on the stand. We know we're going to see Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand and they're going to be fascinating trials with a ton of eyeballs and a lot of pressure on all of the parties, judge, attorneys, defendant. It'll be something to see. 
Yeah, big, big trials coming up uh, in October and November on your front row seat to justice. Ted Rollins every morning on Court TV, folks, every morning. You got to wake up. Ted, you got to wake up early, right? You get up early, you, you get down there, and, and you start the day for us. Do we lead it off? Nine to noon Eastern. Um, yeah. We're working hard, Vinny, while you're sleeping in. That's right. I'm sleeping in because, I, you know, someone's got to work the night shift. Anyway, Ted Rollins, Court TV anchor, thanks so much. Um, when we come back, folks, we're going to take you outside of the courtroom to a true crime story and mystery that has captivated the nation. I'm, I'm talking about the disappearance and death of 22-year-old Gabby Petito. Uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to introduce you to a new member of the uh, Court TV extended family from our sister network, Anusi. All that coming up next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. It is the story that everyone is talking about, um, coast to coast, and, and, and it has caught fire. Um, and this happens from time to time, but it really hasn't happened in in our genre of the world, which is true crime, um, because politics has overcome our lives and has overcome the news cycle. But this story has broken through and has touched a nerve with people. I'm talking about the search and now death of Gabby Petito, a 22-year-old who was uh, a budding uh, blogger slash vlogger slash YouTuber who was taking this amazing adventure around the country with her boyfriend slash fiance, depending upon who you ask on what day. And they went in this van and were living something that is called van life. It's a real thing because I'm covering two true crime stories now uh, in the country involving people living the van life. So it is it is something people want to see the world. They don't be tied down to a mortgage or rent. And they just I mean, they get in their in their vans and they go. It's amazing. It's, It's exciting. And it should have been an amazing adventure for Gabby Petito. But it resulted in her death. And, and as the story goes, um, her body is found uh, near the Grand Teton uh, Park. And the boyfriend fiance came back to Northport, Florida with her van, but without her. And that's kind of where we stand now. They're, they're moving parts of this story that are changing moment to moment. Um, but as we record this, there's still a lot of information uh, to get to. So I want to bring in a very special guest. And, and I, think, I think we're related now because of this incredible um, marriage that has happened between uh, my network, Court TV, and Newsy. And I guess we're sisters, we're brothers, we're cousins, uh, but we're family. And uh, Haley Bull is with us. Uh, she is one of the uh, great uh, journalists with Newsy. Uh, Haley, thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's like uh, talking to family, like you said. Exactly. And, 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 and it's family that gets along. Now, not all families get along, right? That's, that's, that'll be a problem. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> like each other. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because we don't talk politics with each other. Now, Newsy is, is very unique in the news world that you guys don't have an agenda. 
You know, you don't play for a team. I turn on television, watch the news. I know everybody's playing for a team now, but you guys aren't. It's really uh, fact-based, opinion-free, and really context-driven, I think, is the content you get when you turn on to Newsy, which um, I think is a, a really great space when you're looking for your, your daily news. And it's Newsy, N-E-W-S-Y, not, right. I-E, not I-E like Vinny, V-I-N-N-I-E, but... N-E-W-S-Y, Newsy. Um, okay, so you're based down in Florida in the middle of this entire story. It, exactly. We've been watching this unfold in Florida. And like you said, it's a really fast-moving case. There's a lot of updates um, coming in every day. But, you know, right now down here in Florida, we have this big, really intense search um, for Gabby's boyfriend, fiance, like you said, ongoing right now. So let me ask you this, and and I know I preface this all by saying you guys don't play for a team. It's fact-based, but I'm going to ask you for your opinion. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but the opinion isn't about the you know guilt or innocence or anything like that. It's about the story, right? I mean, Newsy and, and Court TV, we all cover stories all the time. What do you think it is about this story that has touched a nerve and made it the story that it is? Because it, it's been a while since I've covered a true crime story that has gone to this level and broken through uh, to everyone. Right. Well, it's it's certainly a case. And I think Gabby is someone who's really touched the hearts of a lot of people, not just in Florida, but across the country. You know, they were documenting their cross-country trip. Um, so people have been able to go through social media and YouTube um, and and see that journey they were taking starting this summer. Um, their stops in different parks along the way. Um, so I think that's something um, that has drawn a lot of people in. Um, I know community-wide, there's, you know, there's people who didn't know Gabby who are showing up for vigils, leaving mementos, offering prayers um, down at City Hall in Northport. There's a memorial for her. Um, so it's really, you know, like you said, it's touched a lot of people. Um, and, and for whatever reason that may be, uh, it's grabbed the attention of this community locally and nationwide. So let's I mean, there's a couple of different avenues to go here and there's an autopsy that's taking place that may or may not reveal a lot about what happened to uh, Gabby Petito. Uh, but let's let's focus first on, on Florida. Now, he's he lives there, was living with his parents and, and Gabby was living with them as well. Right. There was like they were all inside that yellow house that we've seen. Yeah, that's right. Um, police have said they were they were living there. It's a home in Northport. So that's. Um, not far from Sarasota, if you're looking at the map. Um, and that's where everything has kind of been focused um, up to this point now. Um, that was where they said, you know, he returned to Florida, like you said, without Gabby at the beginning of September. So now there's a search, but there's a search for this guy, right? Because at this point, they, don't, they have no idea where, it, where he is. His parents um, have been relatively silent, but at some point reported him missing? And went to police and said, we don't know where he is. Right. And that's been one of the, the big frustrations early on last week. You heard police pleading for Brian and his family to talk to them, share information, help in that search for Gabby. And then a big turn on Friday when police say family said they hadn't seen him since last Tuesday. Um, they believed he may have been last at this nature preserve. And so that is where the search has been located. Um Police did a ground and aerial search over the weekend. 
didn't come back with anything, but this morning they are back out there searching from a different side. But, you know, Vinny, one of the things about this search is geographically, it's a large area. This preserve is about 25,000 acres. It's hot out in Florida. It's a heavily wooded area. It's swampy. So when you're in Florida, think alligators and snakes in those waters. Police have said there's flooded hiking and biking trails. So it's a pretty tough terrain for them to sort through. But this time they're coming at it from the other side of the preserve. Um, so I think they're hoping they'll find something new out there today. But again, they're on the ground and looking uh, by air as well, trying to see what they can find. And with the use of drones and, and, and other uh, you know available technology, those searches uh, can be much more uh, detailed. But still, you, it's a vast area. It's it's um, going to be difficult. And all of this is based upon what they are saying, right? Because there's a lot of people, uh, and I read these comments. I don't know about you, but but from I I go on social media, and and I do it purposely to kind of get the vibe of of where people what people are thinking about stories, um, what sort of things that they've heard and and where the, the questions are in the case. And I think it's, it's easier to report on things when you know what, what questions people have. But it seems like this entire search is based upon um, things that his parents told investigators versus anyone else. And people are questioning whether or not the parents will be truthful. Is it, do we know if there's any, when the last time anyone actually saw this guy? Aside from what police have reported parents saying, I don't think we have heard confirmed info on that. No, um, I know on Friday when that report from the family came out, police said they were working to corroborate that. And then after that, we saw um, these two searches start. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Yeah, that's a that's a question that I have, you know, you, you, and obviously the parents could be telling the truth. They could be 100, you know, they're th thrown in the middle of this entire thing. They don't know how to react. Uh, a parent's first response will always be to protect your child. I get it. I think we all understand that. But at the end of the day, um, you can't mislead police because that in and of itself is a crime. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are telling the truth. So how do you find this guy? Now, this guy. Uh, Brian Laundry, how much do we know about his background? It, it seems like he strikes me as like the yogi type, right? I've, I've seen videos. He's doing his yoga. He he doesn't like if you use if you drink from a plastic water bottle like I'm doing right now. He hikes and all of these types of things. So he might be a kind of guy who could survive in, in an environment like that for a while. I you know I I am not sure. Um, it's I think everyone's interested to learn more about him and his background and where he's at and what he's doing right now. Um, I think when you talk about the family, though, one thing that's important to note is the search and this investigation isn't just in this wooded area. You know, the FBI were out at the family's home in Northport yesterday um, carrying out a search warrant. Um, they spent hours out there before leaving. So it's not clear what, if anything, they found. You know, this is an FBI investigation at this point, so they're very, very tight-lipped about it. It's, it's interesting because the FBI swarmed that house, and we saw they escorted the parents out. And, you know, what they found during that search may lead to uh, different areas to search. And, and a big part of it, uh, I'm sure, is going to be any sort of digital footprint that they can track down. But uh, I think, you know, if someone is trying to not be found, I think these days most people understand, you know, don't take your cell phone with you. 
Um, don't send an email. Don't don't do any sort of banking and all of that. So I'm wondering if he truly does not want to be found. Um, how they're going to find him? It, it seems like someone's going to have to spot him or see him, or or perhaps through this search. It, it's going to be difficult. This is such a different kind of case because of the people involved as well. I mean, you watch the video, you think this was like a couple that was absolutely in love and blissful and wow, I wish I could do that. Jump in a van and just drive around the country. And now as we're peeling back the layers, it's, it's a different story. We've caught glimpses along the way into, into some of the circumstances. Um, like you said, you see what's on social media, but um, there have been little points here and there that offer a little bit more perspective, um, like the the stop in Moab that was um, captured on a officer's body camera um, that just offered a, a, maybe a glimpse into the relationship um, a little further. Um, police have said it's not clear if you know what what relation that has to the whole picture at this point, but um, you know I'm sure you you saw the video. It showed. Um, Gabby upset. And I think it offers a little bit more context into what you don't see on the social media accounts. Yeah, it was, it was tragic. That body cam video, she was inconsolable. She was just crying the whole time. And he's like, Mr. Cool. And though the, the 911 call came in about a man slapping and hitting a woman. And then once police started investigating, it all got turned around into Gabby had, scratched his face and they were debating whether or not to arrest her for domestic violence and police chose not to. And then they just kind of separated them for a night, but then it ended there. Right. Um, that's exactly it. So, I mean, hopefully as this investigation goes on, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more uh, about that. Now for the investigation into the uh, digital footprint, I was reading one of the search warrants And it seems that there were some text messages between Gabby and her mom that indicated there may have been some some trouble. So I think mom may have known that there were some issues going on in this relationship. Yeah. And those text messages, the search warrants were certainly interesting to read. And I think, you know, like the body camera footage offer a little bit more context to maybe what was what was going on between Gabby and Brian. Um, but that's definitely a question I think a lot of people have. And, you know, you're talking about digital footprint too. I think one of the noteworthy things is there's um, so many people on social media who are trying to dissect this as well right now um, and look for any clues in the photos or videos that they, they might spot along the way to try to get a little bit more context to what was happening. And it seems like one of those videos from the YouTubers and, and they're from Florida, like you, the, the red, what are they? The red, white and Berthoons, I think is, is what they, they call it. on the 27th. They're driving through the park and they on video, their GoPros are rolling and you see the van on the side of the road. And the 27th seems to be the one date uh, or the last date that anyone thinks that anyone uh, saw Gabby alive. Right. And and so police, that's one of the things they've been asking people to do is if they had any contact with Gabby, with Brian, or they saw that vehicle, that white van to to come forward with that information. Originally, they were looking for info from the camping area where the body was found um, between August 27th and at date August 30th. So as 
Investigators put this together. This is a, 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 an incredible team effort, right? You've got the FBI involved, but then you've got all these locals as well. And it stretches all the way from Wyoming to Florida, this investigation. It's a huge geographical area. Like um, you have the search in Florida, you had the search in Wyoming and the investigation going on in Wyoming. Um, you have FBI, you have local entities in each of each of those jurisdictions. You also have um, the park services as well in this. This is a national park um, out in Wyoming where they they were looking. So there's a lot of agencies involved. Um, We do know the FBI is the lead on it at this point, um, and they're heading, heading up the investigation right now. And I'll tell you what, if there are charges and it's all taking place in a national park, this could end up in federal court, not in state court. And that will be interesting to see the way that develops, because the feds try cases much differently than than state jurisdictions. The feds, um, they don't like to lose. So they're not as aggressive as the locals. They will they will want so much evidence before they bring charges. And, And that's the one fear I have in this whole thing is a very timid prosecution. And when I say that, uh, you know, the U.S. attorney who has to make that decision may not be as ready to go as a local D.A. would be because, you know, local D.A., sometimes sometimes you lose a case once in a while. Feds never like to lose, never like to lose. Okay, so um, the other thing there's been I I noticed it again on social media, some criticism of, of police down in Florida for letting this guy out of sight, that that there's a search for him. But I don't know if anyone ever saw him, right? I mean, who who saw him? If he's out of sight, when did we ever see him? How is that all playing out down in, in Florida in, in police uh, and whether or not they're being criticized or responding to the criticism or explaining why there is a search for this guy? You know, we haven't we haven't heard a big response from police on any of that criticism at this point. Mostly they have been hyper focused on the search itself and not the peripheral commentary um, going on with it. What's important to note is during Gabby's disappearance, they named Brian a person of interest, but they were very vocal in noting he was not wanted for a crime, that it was a missing person's investigation. Um, And that was something they maintained throughout last week. And then Friday was when we saw what would have been a second missing persons investigation start when they learned Brian um, reportedly, according to family, hadn't been seen since Tuesday. So there's a lot of questions surrounding that timeline. And when he was last seen um, outside the home, people have been you know, staked out there all week from um, community members, news crews, obviously law enforcement we have seen. Um, so it's, it's a big question, but, you know, obviously right now their focus is finding him and today searching that really expansive nature preserve. And we shall see how all of that develops. But as it does develop, of course, Newsy will be on top of it. That's right. So, um, Haley Bull, um, tell us a little bit about um, where folks can find Newsy. How do you find Newsy? Well, this is what's really cool is they are expanding to be 24-7, not just across your digital platform. So I think your connected TV platforms, online, but also over the air. Um, so you want to check out Newsy.com for more info on where you can find that Um, But once over the air, it's going to be available in more than 90% of television homes and 
all of your major markets. So, Vinny, I know you like to talk about rescanning. Um, that might be a, a key yeah. for folks. Yeah, well, let me tell you, folks, you, you, I, don't, I don't have to preach to the choir here, but if you've got a digital antenna and you have not rescanned it recently, you need to. And October 4th is a big date. Uh, make sure you rescan it after October 4th so you can find uh, not just Court TV, uh, but our sister cousin. Uh, brother-in-law network, Newsy as well. Because we, right. You want the whole family. You can't leave a member of the family out. And when you want your news, don't you want it just served straight up, right? You want you don't you don't need your glass tilting to the left or tilting to the right. Straight up, drink up uh, some newsy, and uh, we appreciate it. Haley Bull, thanks so much. Great having you on the podcast. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, when we come back, I'm going to give you my opinion, because I don't work for Newsy. I'm going to give you my opinion about the deafening silence coming from the laundry house, that little yellow house down in Northport, Florida. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. A lot of people have been talking about the silence that has been coming from the Laundry household. Brian Laundry and his parents saying nothing to investigators when Gabby Petito, the 22-year-old from New York, was missing. He was with her. Brian Laundry was with her. He was the last person with her. They were engaged. It professed their love to one another. We're doing this, this, this incredible journey together. They leave together. He comes back with her van but without her and says nothing, nothing to police, nothing to her family, and certainly nothing to the media and did zero to help find her, both he and his parents. So at this point, this silence, what what does it mean and how will it impact things going forward? Well, we have to get into the hypothetical world right now because no one has been charged with anything. No one's been named as a suspect uh, for anything. But let me let me lay out two different scenarios for you and what they mean from my perspective. Scenario number one, if in fact Brian Laundrie had anything to do, has any criminal responsibility whatsoever for what happened to his fiancee, girlfriend, Gabby Petito. This silence was the smartest thing in the world that he ever could have done. It was the greatest advice ever uh, from his attorney that the family hired. Because this silence, while it gets you and I riled up, while it, 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 it speaks volumes to you and I about what is going on here, if and when there is ever a trial of Brian Laundrie, there will be silence about this silence. Prosecutors can say nothing about it. Prosecutors cannot get up in a courtroom and say, ladies and gentlemen, when his fiance went missing, he told no one. When the world was searching, 
for his fiancée. He said nothing. You can't use his silence against him. His right to remain silent. His silence during the trial. His silence outside the court. You can't use it against him. You can use his actions. You can argue about him driving home alone and all of that. But you will never be able to comment on the silence. And oftentimes what you see in cases like this is that there are initial statements that are made by criminal defendants. Again, we're in the hypothetical world here. Not a suspect hasn't been charged. But in the hypothetical world and in the real world of other trials I've covered, when criminal defendants have said something and it turns out to not be true, prosecutors jump up and down in the courtroom and and tell the jury, he lied, he said this, but we know this is not true. Why would he lie, ladies and gentlemen? Why would he lie? And you can, and it's fair to comment on why someone would lie, but it's not fair to comment on why someone says nothing. And that's why if, if, and this is a big if, if there are charges against him, and if he factually did something wrong, this was the greatest advice ever to remain silent and say nothing, ever, ever, never say anything. And every criminal defense attorney tells you that. But let me flip it. Let me flip it, folks. If, in fact, this is a homicide and he had nothing to do with it and someone else did it and he is factually innocent and someone else is factually guilty and responsible for this, it was the worst advice ever. Why do I say that? Because that means there's an actual killer out there or someone else who's criminally responsible And he may very well have possessed the information that investigators needed to find that person. And without that information, that person will never be found. And at the end of the day, all the fingers will end up pointing at him. Okay? Now, again, this is is under a hypothetical that he is factually innocent. But based upon all the circumstances as they exist right now, they are pointing towards him. And if he did not provide the information to investigators relative to the real killer, that real killer will never be caught because he was the one that has this information. So his silence under that circumstance would be the worst advice ever. And I have criminal defense attorneys on my show all the time who say, you should always remain silent, no matter what. And I questioned them. I said, even innocent people? They say, oh, yeah, of course, innocent people, because they'll try to make you look guilty. Okay, I get it. I get it. But look at these circumstances. These are two people together in a very close quarters inside this van traveling around the country. So if something happened to her, he was there. He saw it. He heard it. He would have information that would point towards the person responsible. And right now, if that is the what actually happened, that person will never be held accountable. And if he gets charged, he's going to be left holding the bag because he never gave up that information. So that's why I look at this silence and I have to look at it two different ways based upon what the truth is. And again, we don't know what the truth is. Uh, there's still a lot of information that has to come out. And I'll be covering it on my show, my show 8 to 11 every night on Court TV. And we're taking a deep dive into this story Uh each night as things develop with, with investigators, uh, with family members, wherever the investigation is, uh, documents that are being uncovered, search warrants, et cetera. So um, 
as this story develops, we'll have all the information for you on Court TV, your front row seat to justice on my show uh, each and every night. And I don't know where this thing ends up. I don't know where it ends up. As we're recording this, there's a search on for Brian Laundry. I don't know if they find him. Uh, and, and there's an investigation into how and why uh, Gabby Petito died. And all those pieces have to be put together in order to figure out where this thing ends up. Um, but we'll see. The nation, the nation is invested in the story right now. And, and, and the reason I think the nation is invested in the story is, is because of the way they live their lives so publicly through Instagram, through YouTube, and how people could relate to what they were doing. And then as more evidence uncovers, people want to know what happened. It's about domestic violence. Uh, it's about social media. Uh, it, it's about so many different issues. And I think that's why it's really grabbed the nation and, of course, grabbed us at, at Court TV. Um, that's it for this week. You know about rescanning. We've covered that already, so please do that. Uh, thanks so much for listening and downloading. I'm Vinny Politan. Um, uh, we will be back next week talking about the big legal stories, the big trials uh, across the nation. We do it here on the podcast each and every week. In the meantime, have a great week, and don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.